Welcome to the Dynasty Junkies Podcast with your hosts, Rocky Petrella and Dustin Church. Let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Dynasty Junkies Podcast. I am your host, Rocky Petrella at Dynasty FF Addict. Normally, this is when I'd also say my co-host is Dustin Church, but he has his priorities out of whack and is actually spending time with his family on vacation instead of podcasting here. So I have a guest host this week, um, guest host, uh, guest podcaster extraordinaire and DAP overlord, Russ Fisher, Dynasty Outhouse. Russ, thanks for uh, subbing in here. Hey, I clearly do not have my priorities in the same order because I absolutely just walked away from my family and I was like, <laughs> nope, got to go. Junkies need me. And, and I appreciate it. And uh, we have another great guest this week. Um, it's Scott Connor, um, Dynasty and Chill Pod, among other things. Uh, it's Scott, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I've been enjoying the first uh, nine episodes of the show, so uh, happy to be here for episode 10. Looking forward to it. Okay, appreciate that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get into it, um, the, 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 I always wonder this, and I never asked you, what, why at Charles Chill FFB for the, uh, the Twitter handle? Yeah, I've, I've had this question a couple times, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of science behind it, but my middle name is Charles, so that's where the Charles part comes from. And the Charles Chill part, yeah, that was just a nickname that I had since, gosh, I was 13 or 14. And it was just a couple of my friends came up with, they always called me Charles instead of Scott. And I just had a real laid back, chill personality. So they started calling me Charles Chill, just stuck with it for the last 25 years almost. So yeah, that's the science behind it. And works with the pod name too. Yep. And He's uh, afraid to admit that he was just a cold-blooded killer on the courts <laughs> back in the day. So uh, <laughs> that's where he got chill from. <laughs> um and i also just wanted to give a shout out um we announced the last couple weeks the um dynasty junkies listener league we got that started we got that filled actually a little bit of overflow we had to turn a couple people down but um started the startup today so just a shout out to all those guys we already got three trades in the first round so we're definitely on brand there so um so but let's just get into the show then and uh we don't always do a news segment on this show, but uh, if it's big, if it's big enough news, we like to talk about it. So I thought Cam to the Patriots was worth talking about. I know uh, Russ talked about it on Trade Addicts this week. So Scott, what's your thought on on Cam going to the Patriots for Cam for the other pieces on the on the team? What do you think? Well, first of all, I think that it's definitely a sigh of relief for people that owned a lot of Cam Newton and Superflex. You kind of were waiting and holding out hope like, you know what, there's going to be a chance that maybe he signs somewhere, but you know, we're getting into almost the end of June and he hadn't signed anywhere yet. So you're kind of wondering, like, maybe is he going to go through the season and not have a job? So as somebody that I think had eight shares of Cam Newton, I was glad to see him at least sign somewhere. And obviously this was the situation that everyone had been pinpointing to, you know, probably where he would end up and it ended up coming, you know, to fruition. But I think that... The first thing is he's going there to start. Some of this stuff out there where people are saying it's Jared Stidham still the starter. Cam has to earn the job. You know, I saw that quote that that Cam had, and he said basically that this wasn't about money. This was about him basically rebooting his career, rebooting his image. This was about showing everybody that had quote unquote given up on him or you know thought that he was done. That this is him to get this is him to get his swag back. So. Uh, to me, you don't sign there to say, well, I'm going to compete with Jared Stidham. And, and I think the Patriots probably are smart enough to realize that 
if Cam has a chip on their shoulder, even if he's only going to be there for one season, like we're going to try to maximize that. So I just don't see there is no, unless he's not healthy, which we have no idea. You know, we haven't seen him actually throw a ball or we haven't seen him on the field yet, but you know, I think it's this narrative out there that he hasn't earned the starting job yet. Like this is his job, unless there's just something miraculous that goes wrong. We have seen those sexy workout videos though, with those, his yes. shirt off all ripped and everything. That is true. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's going there obviously to be the starter, but, um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know what we can expect from him after you. I mean, he was never the most accurate guy anyway. I, I don't know that it it makes a huge improvement for any of the receiving weapons. Um, may, maybe Sony and, uh, or Damian Harris or, or whoever, James White get, get helped a little bit from it. Um, what do you think, Russ? I love it. I, I just think that. He is, man, like in every aspect of it, like the opposite of Tom Brady. I, I think it's great that he will, like, remember Kelvin Benjamin's rookie year? Like, that dude, it didn't matter that he wasn't open. He didn't get separation. It didn't matter. He just kept chucking the ball at him. And, I mean, that's going to be Nikhil Harry, most likely. Like, that's what we want for Nikhil Harry in our uh, on our dynasty teams, because that's what, you know, we want something out of him. And... We seen, you know, remember the horrible uh, narrative we created that uh, Cam was so bad at checkdowns, his under five yards depth of target accuracy was trash. But you know, I think uh, Christian McCaffrey did pretty well with him. So there's a chance that James White still is great. There's a chance that maybe they actually let Sony catch the ball if his foot's healthy. I, I mean, I I am a fan of all of this. I have zero Cam shares, not necessarily by design or any way, but. If I did, I would be super happy about it because, yeah, he's starting. That If he's healthy, he's starting. Yeah, which is like Scott said, the one thing we don't know is the health issue. Um, you guys talked about this a little bit on Trade Addicts this week. Um, what would you be giving up for Cam, if anything, or is it just sort of a hold situation? I, I'm not – I only have one Cam share, and I think, Russ, you said you had zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and – I I think it kind of is a hold situation because I think he's probably worth a first as a starter, but I, I don't know that I'm willing to buy him for a first with the, the uncertainty. You, you, what do you think, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I'm not actively trying to buy him because I do have so many shares already. Um, I've actually gone the other way, and I've, I've been willing to basically, you know, since I have eight shares, I've kind of shopped most of them and said, you know, what can I get for him? And basically seeing what the best offer I can get across the eight leagues and just try to leverage the fact that, hey, you know, I can take offers from eight different sides. You know, I can take offers from eight different sets of owners. I, I really haven't even gotten anybody to bite for a, a 2021 first. Yeah, that's probably where I'd be looking in the range to get for him. But I also look at, you know, look at the quarterback position. And this kind of starts a larger topic. Maybe we don't even want to get into on this show. But, you know, you look at the quarterback position and you can kind of go down the line and there's tiers that you can have. And you start looking at names like, you know, Garoppolo and Tannehill and Bridgewater. And it's like, truly, what is their shelf life as being NFL starters? You know, you you can't for certainty say those guys are going to start more than two years. You know, some of them could end up being one-year wonders where they only start for one more year and then their job is threatened next year. So if you take it in that regard, he should be in the same range as those guys to where like, hey, as long as I can get one year out of it, I'll worry about it next year because I do think the future of the NFL, we're going to start seeing more and more turnover at the quarterback position. Uh, We talked about this on a prior podcast that you're not going to see teams ride out Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. They're not going to start for five years if the team doesn't think that they're difference makers. 
You know, you're going to see it with Trubisky. He's probably not going to start through his rookie deal. You may see it with like Sam Darnold. Who knows if he starts for all five years of his rookie deal? Even further down the line, you know, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. I mean, I don't think teams are just going to blindly let these first round picks or even second round picks, whoever start for five years, just because they're, you know, the quote unquote guy, Um, you know, gone are the days of like Derek Carr, Andy Dalton, where average guys like that are going to get the 25 to $30 million extensions. Teams are just going to move on and draft somebody else. Um, So I look at the quarterback position. It's not as long-term as you think, you know I mean? I I guess the, the best scenario right now is Drew Locke. He's one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in dynasty. He's 23. So if you just take the fact, well, he's 23, he should be worth well more than, you know, a 35 year old Matt Ryan, right? Well, maybe not. Cause I think the, the glimpse of Drew Locke could only be one or two more years. So really, what are you buying when you buy, you're not buying any certainty with a lot more quarterbacks than we think. So that's the kind of bucket I'd put Cam in. I think they're all worth a first just cause they're quarterbacks and super flex, but I certainly would be very picky on to which ones I go out and just give my picks away for. But I think yeah, it'll I think- be there for Cam though. Like, like you mentioned all those guys. If I'm in a competing team, would it give up if hey man if i'm competing and i'm giving away my first i think i'm giving away the 112 right like that's the mindset you have to have i think i give up the 112 for cam especially what what his upside can be with you know what should be a a smart coaching staff right because that's at least what they've shown us and uh, just to tie it back to like what you said before there was a poll i can't remember who ran it and i can't remember all the options but it's pretty much who in dynasty who do you want and just, I remember two, cause you brought up his name also, two of the choices. One of them was Cam, one of them was Teddy Bridgewater. And I, and Dwayne Haskins, I think was the other one. I picked Cam. I, I just think that you're right. None of them, none of them, neither of them, none, none of the three of them are guaranteed any long-term, uh, Man, words already are not coming. You guys can't start this late if you're having me on the show. Like they're not guaranteed any longevity in their careers or their starting positions at where they are. So Cam's an MVP. He has been. If that dude's shoulder heals, then what's stopping him from being the MVP again? Yeah, that's a that's a great point about the the longevity factor. I, I would say probably at least two thirds of the quarterbacks in the league probably fall into that bucket of of you don't know what kind of stability they have uh, long term. Um, so, uh, I would definitely, I, I, pro- like I said, I don't know that I'm ready to go, but first I do think it kind of helps play into to the strategy I talked about last week of, of not paying up for quarterbacks. So with the, with the constant churn we're talking about does make it easier to, if, if I am desperate for a quarterback, I can get cam for just one, you know, for just one first, probably a bunch of other guys I can get for just one first. So, um, the, the longevity thing I think is a really good point. Um, so I guess. That's about, I think we, we've talked to Cam out now. So we'll get into the fantasy face off this week. And it's two second year guys, uh, Darius Slayton versus Deontay Johnson. Um, as always, we polled it, uh, got a nice 1410 votes. Uh, Johnson, uh, got 53%, Slayton 47. And I thought this was a little interesting too, because Deontay has a slightly lower ADP. And it seems just from like Twitter and, and other podcasts, he's, been super hyped up uh, uh, in the off season, but it doesn't seem to be affecting his ADP a ton. Um, I, I'm a Deontay guy, and I'll get into why in a little bit. But Scott, what do you think? Yeah, so I think we can attack this from two different uh, angles. I, I think I'd rather have Deontay Johnson if I just want what's the what's the hotter asset right now. You know, what do I think there's somebody in my league that will give up the most for? I'd rather have Deontay Johnson, but. If I actually had to say, like, who would I prefer on my roster if I didn't just have a trade chip? 
Uh, I'd probably go with Slayton just because I, I do think that we're kind of undervaluing um, or we're overvaluing the Pittsburgh offense a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you guys look at a lot of projections, but people just assume Pittsburgh is going to go back to being one of those like top six, top eight teams in the league in pass attempts. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's what they want to do. So if you really look at, you know, I have a couple sites that I go to, but just, just go out and look at some projections for the Steelers. Like the one I'm looking at right now, uh, it has Ben Roethlisberger not even in the top 19 in the league in pass attempts. He's down in the 510 to 520 range. So do the math. You know, you, you have people out there saying that Juju is going to get 140 plus targets. And then you have a bunch of other guys that are going to vie for the rest. So really, like, what is the ceiling for Deontay Johnson? And that doesn't even that doesn't even factor into what we saw last year if Roethlisberger isn't there. I mean, if something happens to Roethlisberger this year, that, that, I mean, that offense completely tanks. I mean, the bottom will drop out of all of the weapons on that team. And, you know, you guys can just picture it right now. Let's say they go into the season with what they have right now. Roethlisberger goes down and he's out for six weeks. You're not going to be able to trade any of those Steelers for anything because the narrative has already been hammered so hard well, no, when they don't have Roethlisberger, they're all dead, basically. So I, I really am in little leery about you know some of the projections for the Steelers this year, including Deontay. So I'd rather have him as the trade ship. Uh, but I think Slayton has a lot better a lot better opportunity, and I also think he has a much higher ceiling uh, when you take all those things into into account for this year. So I'd, I'd prefer Slayton if I had to pick player for player. Yeah, I, and I, I definitely I think Slayton's maybe the more explosive player. Um, I do, I do like Deontay a lot though, because I'm sure you guys may have seen this stat. He led the league in, in yards of separation per route run, which getting open is a pretty important statistic for a receiver. Um, and I think you mentioned that, you know, the horrible situation he was in last year and, um, and that may be affecting if Roethlisberger goes down again. But I also think, I mean, he produced well for a rookie given that horrible situation. And I think, in, in a way, sort of a lot of things broke right for Slayton. Um, he he had Daniel Jones for most of the year, who was the better quarterback than Eli or anybody on Pittsburgh. And he, um, oh gosh, now I got to do my Russ words. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he also had the benefit of pretty much everybody else on that offense getting injured at some point, which helped him get more opportunity. Uh, I mean, some of those pieces may not be there long term. Tate certainly won't be. Um, who knows about Shepard? I think his contract's coming up soon. But if they can stay healthy, he's got more competition this year. So I, that, that's why I like Deontay. I, I just like the talent of Deontay. So I would go with him just from the production standpoint and, like you said, from the value standpoint because he's certainly the hotter asset. Uh, Russ, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts? I think I'm sticking with Slayton. I, I think the thing that – I completely agree with Scott, by the way. I, even if – Roethlisberger comes back, quote unquote, healthy. Is he going to be healthy if he has to throw the ball 700 times? I mean, probably not. Like, I don't think you put a new put together elbow through that again. Like, I, I don't think that's a reality. And don't get me wrong. If they tank for Trevor or Fields, then man, I want Deontay next year. <laughs> I mean, right. But because I mean, clearly with all those advanced statistics that I understand, maybe a third of them, he seems like he's awesome. And I will always trust who the Steelers draft at wide receiver because they seem to know what they're doing in that aspect. But Matt Slayton, I don't know what it was. He just, he did really well. And while those same advanced statistics show that he wasn't that great, he just did produce pretty well. That's fine with me. 
even when Shepard was healthy, even when Engram was healthy, Slayton still got his. And they didn't draft anyone to, you know, make us worry about that. So he is a different piece. He's a different, kind of a different position than all the rest of the wide receivers on the Giants. Deontay Johnson is Juju. I mean, they're, they're kind of, they're pretty similar. Uh, James Washington isn't all that different on his own, except, man, what a letdown that guy is, but that's not really the point of this uh, conversation. So I, there's so many ways the Pittsburgh offense can go. We know what the Giants offense is. We know what Slayton is in that offense. And since both of these are a little bit of a dart throw, I like having that safety and knowing what he is. And I, I mean, I know that Twitter loves Deontay Johnson right now, but I think their trade value is probably pretty similar. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think Deontay's probably worth a little more, but you may be right. But, um, so yeah, I guess, uh, I guess you guys are going Deontay. I'm, I mean, uh, Slate and I'm going Deontay. It's pretty close either way, like the poll show, like the ADP shows. Um, but it'll be interesting to see it play out. Uh, and, and my take is obviously dependent on Roethlisberger, um, mostly staying healthy. Yeah. If he, if he goes down again, they, they have, I believe the same guys there. So <laughs> Deontay might not do much better than last year. Um, but let's go to our commissioner corner now. Commissioner corner. And the commission topic for this week is playoffs. Uh, I wish I could do a Jim Mora playoffs imitation, but I can't. So, um, but, um, I was wanted to talk about, um, with especially with Scott Fishbowl around the corner is the idea of not necessarily, do, and especially Russ actually did this in, in, in a, a league that's definitely not a new league. Definitely not. Um, no, definitely. Um, that instead of doing head to head, doing sort of the Scott Fishbowl uh, scenario in a smaller fashion with just the top scores advancing. So each round, the top two scores would advance until we get to the championship. It seems like it might be a more fair way to do it. And should that maybe be kind of what we start moving towards instead of doing head to head to kind of give a, the better teams a chance to win um, in the playoffs and not get, you know, the fluky uh, team coming up and, and having the, the, boom week so what do you guys think ross go ahead, man. Oh, yeah. me okay oh, wow <laughs> hey man i just i figured you let the guests go first but you know I, i'll take it man so yeah uh we definitely did not decide to do this in a definitely not new league um but my wife isn't here so i guess i don't really need to speak in code but it, it was really because uh, you know i heard it on commission possible where you hear all awesome ideas for your leagues and all scott fishes and all ryan mcdowell's leagues are like this where it's not head to head in the playoffs I mean, we spend so much time trying to find ways to bypass the variance, the randomness of schedules head to head in our fantasy seasons that I completely understand doing the same thing in the playoffs. And I don't think I would want all of my leagues like this. I do like a little bit of the head to head. I do like the rivalry of it. So I don't, I don't think I want it completely gone. I, I, like all variants, not variants, all varieties of leagues. I like having one or two. I don't necessarily need them to be all. Uh, so I, I do like this idea. I was very happy that no one completely objected against me instituting it. So, I mean, we'll see how I really feel about it to see, you know, in a year or two when I make the playoffs in that league, uh, how I feel. But also, like, I know right away everyone's going to do say the opposite of what I just said. Like, oh, that's, that's stupid. Head to head's like the way to go. I mean, you're still playing against people. You still need to outscore people. It's just not one person. And to be fair, I mean, that makes things a little better for you. Uh, so you don't have to complain that, you know, oh, man, I would have beat both of the other guys in the other game. 
but you still do need to score more points than two other teams. So it's still anxiety ridden. It's still rivalrous. Is that, I'm going to pretend that's a word. Uh, <laughs> so I, I still think it's fun. I, I love the idea. I love some of my leagues doing that. <laughs> Scott? Yeah, I'm with Russ. I mean, I have a couple leagues like that where um, I have a few where the playoffs are actually, they just go the entire time and it's just most points throughout the entire playoffs, which it's different. Uh, But I agree. I wouldn't want all my leagues to be like this. I do enjoy the head to head. You know, you're matching up with X team in the, in the semis or the quarterfinals or whatever. Uh, But here's what I'll say. I mean, I understand the intent of trying to eliminate, you know, some of the flukiness of the playoffs, but if you really think about it, I mean, we probably all think, you know, we have podcasts, we write for websites, you know, we're probably pretty good dynasty players, right? But there is only so much that actual skill and knowledge and lineup setting can take you. I mean, there is, people don't understand how much variance there is in a fantasy football season. So to try to change the playoff schedule to eliminate some of that, I mean, think of how many things we don't control on a year to year basis. We don't control the bye weeks We don't control the schedules most of the time. So those two things alone is creating so many variables throughout the season where if you're playing in a head-to-head league, even if you're doing, you know, double headers where you're playing every single team two or three times in a season, there's still so much variance within those matchups. You know, a couple bad luck matchups here or there can be the difference between you even getting into the playoffs or not. So unless it's almost like unless your league is going to account for all the variance and eliminate it throughout the entire season, why try to change that just for the playoffs? I mean, I get it, uh, but there's other things I like to do to make the playoffs maybe a little bit more intriguing uh, versus trying to just change the fact that it's not head-to-head when you play an entire schedule during the year of head-to-head. So it, it's nice. I agree. I like to have a couple leagues like that, but yeah, to make this like an industry standard thing, I think would be a mistake. Wait, I love this. Let's, let's, let's explore this getting rid of variants of all sorts. How about Whenever a player has a buy, you can still put them in and they get their points per game average that week. Like <laughs> you, you get to lock it in like right away. I love it. Like this is, I think this is something we need to go down, but this is a rabbit hole. I'm going to dive down one day. Well, let's go down it right now. I mean, I, I, put it this way. I think we're facing a season coming up where you're going to see more variance than we've ever been able to account oh, yeah. for. And so I, I almost, you know, being kind of the statistical nerd that I am, I kind of look at this and say, let's say this season does go off with with a lot of hitches. There's going to be a lot of hitches probably. But how much can we even take, you know, I sit here and I look at these projections, but how much can we even put weight on projections this year? Because they're all based on statistical models from years past that are not going to deal with what we're going to face this year. Mm -hmm. And then let's say we get through this season and the season plays out, but there's a bunch of things that come up and there's a bunch of forks in the road and a bunch of weird things that happen with injuries and missed games. Can we even use this season and throw it into the pot with all the historical data that we have and say, well, we're just going to throw it in there and say, well, this trend happened in 2020. It may happen again in 2022, or this may be the new trend of the NFL. Can we really even speak to that even if this season happens? So I just think that variance is going to be the name of the game this year. So to try to say, well, let's try to alleviate some of it. I almost look at it the opposite way. Let's just throw it all into a pot and just let it play out and see what happens. Cause there's going to be so many things this year that I don't think we can control. Yeah, definitely. And 
I agree with you guys. What both you guys said. I, I don't know that it should be the standard to do it this way. I do like the idea of it. I'm interested to see how it plays out in Russ's league. And in it, bringing up what you said about doing other things in the playoffs to make it more intriguing, but keeping the head to head. I wanted to mention something that um, I've done. I, I do it actually. I believe in one of the leagues I'm in with you, Scott, which is um, the highest seed in each round gets to pick their opponent. Um, and I think that's an interesting way of doing things. It sort of uh, gives you a reward more for for, for the regular season. Um, possibly can um, hopefully eliminate some of the variance by just by you getting to pick the worst team and what and you can look at matchups for that week and things like that. And maybe that helps you. Uh, Russ, what do you think of that idea? Have you ever done a league like that? Uh, real quick before to go back to the playoffs, uh, first and second First and second seed still get a buy. Like I, I don't think any of us really like pointed that out. So if anyone's true, like, oh, yeah. you know, what's the point of coming in first and second place if you're just thrown into this pile? No, you still do get that bye week. At least in that's what we're not doing in our definitely not new league. Uh, so and, that and is that's the same with what I'm talking about. Like in yeah. the first round, the three seed would pick their opponent, in the second round, the one seed would pick. Um, them. Bosch, John Bosch does this a lot. I had an opportunity to do this last year. I did not. I don't want that responsibility. <laughs> I don't have the hubris to be like, you, I'm going to beat you this week without a question. Because if I lose, I'm the a-hole. It That's is what's all fun about fault. it. <laughs> no, I can't handle that. I That is, no, I can't do that. Uh, I, I am fine letting the seating do the seating's job. Like, maybe, like, if it's a league where I only know you, Rocky, in it, and we make the playoffs, in that case, I'm like, yes, I'm taking Rocky now. You are going to. But, like, if it's, like, a trade addicts league where I know everyone or it's, like, the third year of a league, I, I don't know, man. Like, I just it, – it's too much pressure. I can't I, – I get it's fun. I get all of that. But the actual player in me that wants to win can't handle that. Another reason I like it too is because in I think every league I do this in, at least the sixth spot, if not the five spot, gets in on points. And sometimes that sixth seed may be better in theory than the five or four seed. So that way the third seed's not getting screwed because they might have to play the team that has the most points still, you know, playing that week in the playoffs and they get to pick maybe a lesser team. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I mean, to what Russ spoke to, I think last year in the league you're referring to, I actually had the number one seed and picked my opponent and lost in the semifinals. <laughs> so, I mean, you can get burned by that. Now, I do think it still comes down to, you know, it, you can just have a, a team that gets hot and beats you. It's not that there's necessarily like a, a bullseye on your back just because you're picking another owner. It's still fantasy players on NFL teams. So really, ultimately, you have no control over it. One thing I do in my leagues is uh, twelve team leagues, especially. I've actually found that making letting six teams make the playoffs actually creates a lot of variance, and it does reward. It, it's harder to reward the teams that actually earn those playoff spots. So I've actually cut my sixteen, my twelve team leagues down to five teams making the playoffs. Only the one seed, uh, basically, the one seed gets control of the entire playoff bracket, uh, but essentially the top three teams get a first round bye. And just four and five plays in that, you know, that week 14. So four and five kind of play like a wild card. And then the winner of that advances to essentially your semifinals. And then the one seed basically gets to control the bracket from there. So they get to pick their, you know, they get to pick their matchup in that semifinal game. So similar to what you talked about, but, you know, the the playoffs are eliminated by one team. So it does make you feel like you have 
you know, a little bit better of a shot. You know, you still have to get in the playoffs. Five out of 12, I think, is a little bit more difficult to get in than six out of 12. So just slims it down. It kind of rewards the playoff spot a little bit more. But yeah, I like it. I think it, it creates a little bit of intrigue. But yeah, it's it's pressure when you're that team that has to pick, you know, the matchups and it doesn't go your way. I'd rather just be the guy that no one even considers a threat, you know, just have a team that I'm confident with and, you know, someone else can be, you know, doing the the, the trash talking. That's wild, man. I love that idea. I know. Yeah. Letting like 50% of a league into the playoffs is always a little weird, uh, but yeah. Wow. I never would have thought of like baseball style, that one off weekend of the wild cards they do. Wow. Yeah, it's exactly like baseball. Basically, it's where you get the, you know, five get in, and there's really a wild, basically a play-in series or a yeah. play-in game that, you know, gets in. And, you know, it's the same thing. I don't. I mean, you guys have probably played in like uh, I have one ten-team league, and six teams get in the playoffs. So it's like yeah. nothing even matters. I mean, it's not that hard to get in the playoffs. It's Losing just like it, it all in, comes yeah. down to luck. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I have to find a league to convince to do that now. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in doing that now, too. But I would never would think of five, too, because you assume it has to be an even number of teams. Yeah. I never even thought of doing five in the playoffs. Right. But, yeah, good discussion there. So let's move on to our Dynasty Strategy portion of the show. Dynasty Strategy. One thing I wanted to mention here, because I've been thinking about it uh, recently, especially with um, all the, you see in a lot of different cases, Zeke and, uh, some Tampa Bay Bucks, a bunch of college teams, guys testing positive for COVID. Uh, I feel like a lot of podcasts talked about it early on, um, including ours. I think we mentioned it in episode two, mostly from a commissioner angle. Um, and we've all kind of just been operating under the idea that the league will find a way to play. But, um, Scott, your pod, I think is one I've heard more often than not actually bring up the point about COVID and, and how that may affect things. Um, so I just wanted to kind of just talk about that in general, like concerns for the two. Do we think they're, I, I it does seem they're going to try. I mean, they're definitely going to attempt to have a 2020 season, but how do you think, do you mean, do you think they will be able to complete a season? Are you planning, are you making trades or doing anything differently in regards to, you know, the whole COVID situation and, and how that might affect your teams? What are you doing? Yeah, I think we should just start this discussion by saying that COVID is not, it's not prejudice or it's not bias. It can hit any player, any team at any time. So to try to say that, you know, I have some idea of how that's going to happen in this city or this state or anything like that, I think is, we're going too far down a rabbit hole there. Exactly. But I do think if we think about this just from a a logical perspective, I think there's going to be some strategy as to A, uh, what type of decisions you make with your rosters. I mean, obviously, if you have really, really deep rosters, it's not going to be as big of a deal. But, you know, I do think I look at situations like, you know, if a, if a running back is out because of they test positive for COVID or they get knocked out for X, Y, and Z, you know, the running back position is very, very easy and transparent any given week on who's probably going to get the touches. It's usually most backfields, it's going to be two players, maybe three. But it's predictable from week to week. Whereas I think as some of the other positions, it's it's completely unpredictable. You know, when you get into starting about receivers, a receiver misses a game. That doesn't mean somebody's just going to come right in and play that same role. It can change the entire offense. It can change the entire target tree. It can change how many players are relevant in the receiving game. So I do think receiver is a position that is going to be difficult to navigate if a player does get ruled out at the last minute. Because offenses can completely change. Game plans can completely change if you know, Devontae Adams is off the field for Green Bay. Their offense is going to look different. It doesn't even matter what other players they have out there. And I think another thing that um, 
I've kind of been thinking about is, you know, we're not going to be able to tell necessarily right away when these players are going to get ruled out. They could get ruled out Sunday morning. They'll release every game is going to have a COVID list. You know, seven players from this stadium tested positive. They're out. No questions asked. There's no debate. They're just out. And you almost just put them out for two weeks or however long the the quarantine time is going to be. Uh, I actually think there's going to be some value in having guys, you know, I'll throw out some names, but I think someone like Nick Mullins, Andy Dalton, those guys are going to be really valuable. If they start just because the quarterback's out with a positive COVID test, I mean, Andy Dalton's probably a top 15 quarterback in that offense. Just mm-hmm. just right away, that week, he's a top 15 quarterback. Yep. Um, you know, there's a couple other situations where you can say that too. So I, I am thinking a little bit more about how I want to allocate my roster spots. You know, do I want to roster a lot more of those backup tight end or backup quarterbacks? Do I want to have eight or nine quarterbacks just because? If anything, it's blocking my opponents from being able to pick them up at the last minute. But yeah, I think that's that's the thing is I think we have to have, we have to think about insurance with our roster spots a lot more this year than we do well, I'm just going to hold 10 players on my team just because they're rookies and I like their profiles. Like, I think some of that has to be thought through a little bit more this year. Yeah, and I've I've mostly been operating under, you know, the idea that we're going to have a fairly normalish season. I'm starting to think that maybe I should be kind of doing what you said, planning for more depth. Um, Guys are going to, you know, it seems almost certain at this point, you know, a decent number of guys are going to miss time with this thing. I mean, it's just you can look at around the country now. Everything's almost as bad as it's been at any point. So um, I, I, I starting to have my doubts actually, whether we can even get a complete season in, but I definitely think from a fantasy perspective, it does make sense to actually start um, making moves to maybe with this in mind. Um, Russ, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, we sort of saw the NFL go in this direction already, right? Like they expanded the practice squad and I mean, I've said it before. I can never, I'm on way too many podcasts. And I guess, like you said, I'm a guest on everybody's also. I said it somewhere that I think it would be smart at this point to expand every aspect of the roster, the playings, you know, the actual pl- game day playing the, you know, we start with 93 in the off season. I feel like it should probably be expanded. And then also just because, man, and it's not like he, you know, someone gets a positive test. I mean, they're out for weeks. It's not just like, it's sadly it's not like a concussion where they can come back next week because you know concussions no big deal right guys uh but it's i mean there's gonna be a lot of turnaround and it would first of all it would suck for a guy to lose his job because of this right like some third fourth string wide receiver comes down with it and then all of a sudden you know they don't have the roster spot and they just don't bother picking him up because there's a guy that's close enough you know as good as him uh so i really think like I, when the Commission Possible episode of like all of this came out and like all of how to handle a lot of it was about the rookie drafts and stuff like that. But, you know, I started thinking, like what Scott was saying, like how everything is going to be different. Like maybe we do like in our, um, for rookie drafts, we expand our rosters and then we have a cut down before the season. Like maybe we just don't cut down. Like maybe we expand our rosters a little bit, like our roster sizes because you know, two IR spots might not be enough anymore. <laughs> like if uh, we have to keep the, the churning that the NFL themselves are going to have to do. So yeah, it, it's, I think you're going to have to, yeah, have a lot more quote unquote backups instead of rookies with upside on your screen. Yeah. So pretty much everything you guys said, but I think from a commission perspective, from a league run perspective, there are also ways we could help that as well. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about that, that should we be doing something from a commissioner perspective? Um, and I think that I may be instituting that in some of my leagues, like you said, no cut down, maybe expanding the rosters a little more. Um, so another point, I was, so I'm sorry, Scott, I didn't I, continue. No, I was, I was just going to respond because I think this, this warrants a little more talk. I was listening to the Albert Breer podcast on MMQB and he, He's actually very confident that the NFL has a season, that they're going to push through this almost no matter what. Mm -hmm. Uh, He set the over-under, in his personal opinion, and this was this morning, uh, at 15 games. So, I mean, I'm getting the sense that the NFL is going to push through this no matter what. No fans, half the players being out, they're going to play this because they need the fantasy revenue, the gambling revenue, the TV revenue. I mean, people are betting on simulation games and all that stuff. They will bet on NFL games with third string quarterbacks and fourth string running backs. People don't care. They will bet they'll be looking for action on almost anything. So I'm confident we're going to have a season. So it just assuming that if it gets canceled, I think that brings up so many more discussion points that we can't even cover tonight. Mm-hmm. But just assuming we have a season, the, you know, you look at what the NFL said today, they're actually talking about cutting down the number of roster spots that they only want teams bringing 75 to 80 players to training camp because they don't want a lot of players out there at once. They don't want, you know, rosters full of 90 plus with 150 more team personnel all gathering in one spot. And I just think of what Russ said, like if you're the guy that's on the fringe of that 53 man roster spot and you pop a positive COVID test the week before rosters are set, Mm -hmm. it's like you, your job's done. Like that can totally change the course of your whole career. And you might sit there and say, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. I, I feel good. I can go play. And they're just like, no, rules say you have to sit out. So I think we're going to be dealing with a lot of that on our dynasty team. So I've been preparing for that with a, a lot of my moves that I'm trying to make. I, most years I'm sitting here going, you know, we talk about the non-point scoring season and all that stuff all the time. But I'll tell you what, this has never been a bigger year where I'm sitting there. And Russ probably can attest to it, like in the couple of the chats that we're in. I'm constantly going like, hey, I'm going to pivot off this player for like a player that's like 80 to 90% of that player. Give me the extra second round pick on top. Because yeah. I want to be the team that has all those extra assets to say, you know, if eight of my players come down with COVID, I still can bail myself out. I'm not stuck with a, a roster with no draft picks. You know, nobody's going to want my players that are ruled out for the next three weeks. So it's like, I want to have all the extra insurance. You know, I really want to be cognizant where I use my roster spots and, uh, Speaking about the IR, I've actually moved in all my leagues to move so that if players are listed as out, at least on my fantasy league, that they can go on IR temporarily. So it gives you some relief to be able to pick up players off waivers. I think that's yeah, a good for this year. Thing. thing. That might be a good yeah. thing. This year, yes. Yeah. Yes. And to the point to what you said earlier, but the I, I think you're probably right that the, there's going to be a season no matter what. Everything the NFL has done this offseason has just been plowing through this, not where, you know, acting like business as usual. So. Uh, I don't see why that would change when the season comes. And uh, I, I think that they did, uh, they have actually uh, extended practice squads, haven't they, in terms of expanding rosters? Yeah. 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 Here's here's something else, and this goes down another rabbit hole that maybe you can, you can uh, cut me off if you don't want to do it. <laughs> but the Bruce Arians quote about, I don't know if any of you both caught that quote that he mentioned like three weeks ago. He talked about how he's going to have a backup quarterback that he puts – basically on the shelf in another city away from all his team. <laughs> just, no, seriously, but just because a good what idea. His, yeah. What if his quarterback, you know, 
test positive, and now he doesn't have literally his whole quarterback room goes down. You you can't play a game without a quarterback. So he wants to have somebody he can bring in and at least run the offense. And I, I look at, you know, you look at that strategy just from a standpoint of there's some position groups, offensive lines, quarterbacks. There's some position groups where like you you can't afford to just not have one for a game. You can't yeah, just plug in a, a brand new you know, group of players over here to do that. And I think it does speak to hopefully out of this situation, out of this whole season that is going to be just filled with unexpected things. I think one of the biggest things when you're talking about quarterbacks and practice squads, hopefully this transitions the NFL to actually get serious about some sort of development program mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. sort of place where they can actually get players ready to play because that's the biggest complaint. You know, a, a team that has a locked in starting quarterback, you are not going to bring in anybody at all that is going to threaten the position of that quarterback. So it basically just becomes a position where, you know, you wonder why some of these backups don't get the jobs that you think they should. And then, you know, we hear that Chase Daniel makes $7 million a year or whatever. There's no room for development in the NFL anymore. There's a lot of positions where teams just don't tolerate developing players, maybe one or two per roster, but. For the most part, there's no way to develop any players. And I think this year we're going to see the the teams that do that within are going to be the ones that are much more prepared this year. Yeah, that's a good point. And that Arians thing is so so interesting because the point has been brought up too. I mean, if it, it, with the position groups, if if one guy gets it, there's a decent chance that, that other guys are going to get it. You know, like it could run through the running backs or run through the quarterbacks or run through the offensive line. So that, that's actually a really smart move on Arians' part, I think. But um, unless you have anything else, Scott, I'm just going to move on to the, the next point I had here, which was um, we haven't talked about it a ton on this show, in part, I think, because, you know, not everyone's in the Scott Fishbowl. But I did want to bring it up with the drafts coming up Monday um, and just a little bit on Scott Fishbowl's strategy. Um, one thing I wanted to mention um, is I know a lot of people say, you know, you got, you have to beat 1,440 people and treat it like DFS and all that kind of stuff. But I, I was think, uh, thinking about this today, and you're really – I mean, you are competing against 1,440 people, but you're competing against a 12-team division, and then you just need to kind of finish in the top half of your conference. And then even once you get to the playoffs, you got to finish in the top half of the first round. And then those last two rounds, you got to beat like 20 or 30 people, and a lot of that's luck anyway. So I'm kind of almost just treating it like a regular redraft rather than this DFS idea, um, just, uh, which obviously you want upside everywhere. I mean, that's how you win in, in just a regular redraft. But I'm not going crazy with trying to totally just go. I, I'm basically treating it like I would a redraft league where I'm in the first couple rounds. I'm always looking for floor. You know, all those guys have high ceilings. And then obviously as you get to, you know, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, that's how you win redraft is by by finding the guys that are going to outperform their ADP in that season. So um, what do you think about that idea that it's not, it's not necessarily that you have to think about as competing as against 1,440 people, but just as long as you can do what you'd normally do in a regular redraft league, you should be able to succeed. And really, I think those last couple rounds, you just have to get lucky anyway. I mean, I, my team was not great last year. And if you listen to this pod, you may have heard, I made the Scott Fishbowl finals last year. So, um, I got lucky. I got, you know, I managed to beat some teams. So what do you guys think? I think you're pretty much what you said is right. Like thinking of it of a combination, mostly just like a redraft league, because that's really what it is. But a lot of, I mean, you don't have to, you don't really need, you don't need a winning record to make it to the playoffs. It, it's points. 
it's so that's why I say it's not completely redraft. It's a little bit of the DFS stuff because you just you you need to score the most points possible. It, it doesn't even really matter what your record is. It doesn't matter your wins or losses because you could still make the playoffs anyway. Just scoring a lot of points. It I mean it, it's nice. It helps, but what re- what matters more? Wins and losses or seeing that small number on that leaderboard? <laughs> I, I mean, I think we with that leaderboard is what matters to us, which means it doesn't matter your league. It doesn't matter your division. It doesn't. You don't need to play against anybody. You just need to score the most amount of points you physically can. So that's why I think, yeah, like I don't. You know, when you're playing in redraft, sometimes you look at your other person, your other, your opponent's lineup. Sometimes, like, you try and use that to make decisions. Like, I would never do that in Scott Fishbowl. I would just be like, who's going to score me the most points? All right. He has a chance at scoring a couple of touchdowns. So I'm going to throw him in. But also, I have never done great in the Scott Fishbowl. I, I, at this point, I go in with zero prep because it's more fun that way. I have, no, I've done no mocks. I, Last year, I, I gave Addison some money to look at that uh, database he puts together. I did not do that. I'm just, I'm just going to go have fun with it. So maybe listening to me is not the greatest idea on this, uh, in this aspect, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's tough to wrap your brain around, I guess is really what it comes down to. Uh, so yeah, Scott, you're a lot smarter than I am. Start talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I mean, I, I kind of can empathize with Rocky because I had a really good team last year and I actually happened to hit. You know, I had Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and I actually hit on Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon, and they stayed yeah. healthy the entire yeah. season, and they really crushed it in the second half. But, you know, you get to that, I think it, it's week 14 where basically it goes down from, I think last year was like 120 down to, what, 12 or 20 or something like that. I mean, it's a, you basically have to be in the top 10% to advance to the finals. So it's really hard you know, and depending on who's in your, you know, your group of conferences or leagues, like you can go up against another team. That's just, you know, they have three or four of the same studs that yeah. you have and a couple of different players and boom, they knock you out. You can have a great team and you just get knocked out. Cause there, there is so, so much competition and it's so slim in terms of the teams that get there. So I'm kind of going to take the approach of, I, I don't think we can predict, you know, who the, if everyone could predict who the, the breakout studs were going to be, you could construct your roster to get those players. I do want to go into, let's say I can get to the playoffs and I can get to the top. I don't even know what the, uh, the week 14 is going to be this year. Basically what the semifinals are. I don't even know what, how many teams that's going to be, but I do want to go into that time where I have a completely different roster. So, I mean, I'll be transparent with my strategy. I've looked at my conference. I don't think anybody that's uh, in there is going to listen to this show before we start drafting. Mm So I'm picking at the one Oh four. So I'm, I'm going to go to the extreme. I mean, I, you guys have probably heard if you listen to any of my stuff this this year about receiver variants, and I'm going to take that strategy and embrace it and see what happens. I'm basically going to go zero wide receiver until at least round 10, maybe later. Wow. And then I'll just pick seven or eight and just stream them. I mean, I don't care if my number one receivers, you know, Robbie Anderson, Sammy Watkins, Deshaun Jackson. I'll just roll with eight or nine of those players, uh, and it'll literally be just quarterbacks and running backs in the first you know, eight to 10 rounds, I mean, you know, a tight end or two mixed in there too. But I do want to get to that period where let's say I do start, uh, I have the 104. So let's say I start Lamar Jackson um, and then I pair him with a tight end and a running back. I want to be able to say I have those three players because a lot of people that are picking around the same range may have similar combos of those players when we get to the playoffs. So I want to separate myself in all the other rounds. You know, I think a lot of people are going to maybe go running back, t- quarterback heavy early. And then they're going to start picking from those, you know, wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes, because they appear to be good value in the mid rounds. 
Uh, but I'm going to completely punt that and kind of take a strategy to where I leave the draft with a roster that not any other team in the entire 1,440 teams, it has a similar build. Not even the odds that anyone has the same players is going to be low, but they don't even have the same type of roster build. So that's try- how I'm trying to separate myself. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm also 104. So I, I've, I've heard Scott, we're in a, a chat. So I've, I've heard you Scott. You probably see me in the chat, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the, the, the zero wide receiver strategy. Um, Russ, how are you looking at the, at the whole quarterback thing with the, the, the scoring that they're, that he's doing this year? It's kind of terrifying, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it actually is. having to have a good quarterback instead of just one that scores fantasy points. Cause it's not, he's not just going to score fantasy points anymore. Uh, but man, I forgot where I drafted last year. Uh, like at the six ish area. And I grabbed Mahomes at the 106. And I'm like, oh man, I got Mahomes at the 106. That's awesome. I can't believe he fell. And then no one drafted a quarterback until the third. So I'm like, oh, that's not really a value anymore now, is it? That, oh, damn. And, and then of course, every single one of the quarterbacks I drafted got hurt at one point. So that was awesome. I had Roethlisberger and I can't remember who else, but it was just, it was awful. Um, so at one point I was starting Mason Rudolph, but man, like again, I'm not really going to do that, all that much research. So what I'm going to try and do is find guys that have good offensive lines. And I might even just go for run first offenses, guys that are efficient, Ryan Tannehill uh, kind of guys, because that just seems super safe. And then do what you were saying before, lock up tight end, lock up all those stud running backs I can. And then you're right. You win this league with, not in the first 10 rounds, you win it afterwards. You win it with those guys that no one else thought to pick up, you know, I mean, like Van Jefferson is going to end up exploding or something like that. And you took him in the 15th round or picked him up off of waivers for some reason like that. That's kind of how you win Scott Fishbowl. So, I mean, I I, I don't, I think I draft 108. I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking a quarterback in the first round unless Man, if Mahomes falls to me at eight, I don't think I could pass on that. It's just like in my blood that it's a super flex league and Mahomes just fell to 108. But I'm going to do everything in my power to, at least in the first couple of rounds, play it safe enough, like you said. Get the stud guys. Get the guys that I think all of the winning rosters are going to have already because it's not those guys that are going to win, but it's the guys that are going to get me to the dance. So I'm fine grabbing the guys like Mixon, whoever this year's Aaron Jones might be which might just be mixing, but uh, so going after stuff like that. And then yeah, crazy swings at the bottom is, I think that's going to be what I'm going to do. But for quarterback, I, I think I might be good with like Tannehill and maybe Darnold, something weird like that as my two quarterbacks. I, I might not be buying up on quarterbacks the way I always do in Superflex. Yeah. And the funny thing with me is, is that I, I never pay up on quarterbacks and, I'm kind of hoping for Lamar and Mahomes at 104. <laughs> um, yes. but yeah, but then uh, that's why I wanted 104. I, you know, get one of them or Saquon and, uh, and get the earlier second round pick. Um, but yeah, then I'm probably waiting on quarterback a while after that. If I do get one of those guys, um, I know a lot of people talking about Breeze. I kind of would hope for him in the second round if I don't get one of them in the first round, but it sounds like a lot of people are going to be picking him earlier than that. Um, so I guess we can move on to the next topic that we had here, which was that um, 
I want to talk a little bit about Scott's approach to Dynasty because I think it's a little different than the way a lot of people do it. And I put on here his, uh, I, I call it his stock market approach to Dynasty. I mean, it does a lot of the stuff that a lot of people do. Um, you know, you want to buy high and sell low, but and it kind of goes to what Russ often says about Dynasty value versus uh, fantasy value. And I think uh, Scott probably values uh, Dynasty value a lot more than fantasy value. Am I, am I right with that, Scott? Yeah, I mean, obviously this applies to, I mean, you guys can both relate. When you're playing a certain number of leagues, you get to a point where you do start to pay attention to, well, how many shares do I own of this player? And, you know, where can I maybe, there might be a player that I really like, but, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, hesitant to trade him away if I get the right price. So it's, it is playing it almost like a stock portfolio to where you're looking at it and constantly trying to balance that out. You're trying to weigh your risk. And I think that, once you get to that point, you can you can call it five leagues, ten leagues, fifteen leagues, twenty leagues, whatever it might be. Once you get to that point, the the cost of what it takes to you know add another league or add another league, you're already doing the research. You're already immersed in this. If you have a podcast or you write articles, like you already have the overhead worth of time and research that you're putting into it. So adding another league is basically just doing waivers and setting lineups and in, involving engaging with other owners. I mean, how much time is it really? So. Once you get so many, I do think you actually can benefit by having more leagues and treat it like a stock portfolio and look at say, hey, you know, I'm a little overweight on this player and I have to acknowledge that I really like this player, but I have, you know, 15 shares of him in my 40 leagues or whatever it is. And I want to try to shed a couple of them and you can leverage the fact that you do have that many shares. You now have 15 leagues. You can put them on the trade block. So you're fetching offers from 100 people instead of only eight people. So you do cast a little bit of a wider net in terms of what your return can be. But I I think this is more of a discussion. It comes down to this. I always will, will quote process over players. When you have a strong process and when you have a ton of leagues, the players don't matter. I mean, what did we just talk about 30 minutes ago about the variance? And if we expect a ton of variance this year, I don't want to say it's arrogance on other owners' parts, but if you're going to come to me and you're going to offer me you know, a pivot up at a receiver position where maybe you get a better receiver on paper and you give me one that's a little bit lower, but you're going to give me an extra draft pick or two on top of it. I'm going to kind of say, well, you know what? You're the one that's taking all the risk. You're the one that thinks you know exactly how this player is going to perform. I'll just take my chances. I'm still getting a good player back, but there's a non-zero chance that I get the better player back, you know, especially at wide receiver. There's so many receivers that are like in one big tier How do we know one doesn't have a quarterback that misses a ton of games or gets injured and the other one goes out and has a Tyler Boyd 147 target season? And it's like all of a sudden the value in Dynasty versus their production value is almost the same. So it's almost like you're you're taking all the risk by making those kind of moves. So it's really just process over players. That's the best way to summarize, you know, my stock market approach that and playing in a lot of leagues. Yeah, and I, I've heard you use the term uh, player agnostic, which I don't know if I've ever heard anybody else use that. And that's that's basically what you mean by that, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, just offhand, how many lineups or how many leagues are you guys in on a given Sunday? And this can be redraft, dynasty, whatever. I mean, how many leagues are you actually in on a given basis? I would bet you both of you are at least over 20, I would say. Yeah. Yes. 25 okay, so, to 30, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... You know, I, between FFPC, because I play a lot of high stakes and I play a lot of dynasty, you know, I'm setting 75, 75 lineups a week, at least. I don't pay attention to them. Every touchdown that's scored on the field helps me in one place and hurts me in another. Or, you know, every score that I may win this matchup, it potentially costs me another one. So to try to sit there and say that 
I'm, you know, there's players that I root for. I have a team that I root for, but it truly is like player agnostic. When you get to that, that point where, you know, there's probably only, I don't know, three or four players in the top hundred and eighty P in dynasty that I don't own any shares. So I'll tell you, I, I know who those players are and I know the really good players that I own a ton of. So we're really talking maybe a dozen players a week where I can say, Hey, if, I own 12 DJ Moore shares. If he puts up 30 points, I probably had a good week. I own zero Dalvin Cook. If he puts up 30 points, I probably got crushed by him in at least like half a dozen leagues. So large scale, I can tell those players. But everyone else, it's like, you know, the it almost it's like they balance each other out. So really it is player agnostic. It's just best value and, you know, what fits best in that given league. Yeah, I just find that so interesting. And it. And uh, I, I sometimes maybe wish I could play that way because I definitely do fall in love with players. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I I have way too many Sony Michelle shares because I was sure he was going to be a thing last year. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't work out so well. Uh, I know Russ has his guys. And it's, I think a lot more people play that way, but it might be more smart to play your way. Uh, I think I think Russ's uh, biggest strategy is to have the prettiest roster, though. Isn't that right? That's how you win in Dynasty, man. <laughs> Points don't matter. It's all about how pretty it looks. <laughs> so, well, I'll, I'll say this. I, I remember, and I'm not a big fan of this guy. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are. Has some good information, but I'll never forget. You guys remember a couple years ago uh, when Roto Underworld launched their DFS. And I don't know if you guys remember that. But they had people on that podcast, and I've heard this from a lot of DFS people even before then. But there are people that are very successful in fantasy football. They don't even like football. Yeah, They don't even watch it. They just look at numbers on a screen, and they say, oh, here are the parameters that I have to go by. There's these things like positions, you know, tight end, receiver, running back. I can only start X, Y, and Z. So you have these parameters that you set up when you set a league, and then you have all this data that you throw into it. You don't even need to watch football. There's people that that's literally how they play. So yeah, I mean, I get attached to players and I get attached to teams and situations and we all paint, we all paint pictures about narratives like this team's going to throw a lot or this team's going to be run heavier. This is a great matchup. You know, we all fall victim to that during the season. But if you just pair it back and say, these are literally just numbers on a screen and here's the parameters that I have to operate within my league. I actually think it's a pretty successful way to play because especially because there's a lot of things that we think we can predict. Mm-hmm. We have no clue and we overestimate a lot of what we can project. So, yeah, it's definitely a good point. Um, so we're getting, we're getting to the hour point here. So I think it's about time we start finding some trades. Find me a trade. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I want to let Scott go first. Cause I, I love, I love one of the comments you put in here, which goes to something you just said. I love, uh, you, you you talked about um, exploit owners who think they can predict players, which which probably includes me. So <laughs> <laughs> so um, which I guess a lot of us think we can predict players. But get, let's uh, you actually put two down here. Um, so why don't you you go with yours? Yeah. So we were uh, we were tasked to find a trade for the team Mikey oh, yeah. Mike Mike. Yeah. Let me. I, that was my bad. Let me give you the team. I got to give the parameters of the team. I, I should have done. Yeah. That. I also would like to say too, because someone pointed out this recently. If um, uh, we haven't for quite a few episodes mentioned how you can submit your find me a trades, which is basically just to DM me a Dynasty FF addict or Justin at Dynasty Junkie FF or the pod at Dynasty Junkies dot at, at Dynasty Junkies. So, um, but I'm sorry, I should have given the teams. So 
Um, Mikey, it's a 12-team PPR super flex, one and a half tight end premium. Is his team is Mikey, Mikey, Mike at Mike? It's from at Mikey Cobal on Twitter, and it's a start 10, 30 man roster. Uh, it starts a QB, two RBs, three wide receivers, tight end, super flex, and a flex. So he's got um, it's a sleeper league, which is a little more difficult for us to do, but we can do it. And uh, he's got Kyler Murray and Kirk Cousins as his starting quarterbacks. Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb at running back, uh, Nuke, Cooper Cup, Hunter Renfro um, at as some of his receivers. Uh, Gronk as his tight end. He's also got Keyshawn Vaughn, Raheem Mostert, uh, Philip Rivers as his third quarterback, James White, Tevin Coleman, um, and not much else on his bench. Alson Jeffrey and a couple other guys. No, no one really worth noting. So, uh, my apologies for not setting it up ahead of time, but Scott, now give your trade. <laughs> Yes, I mean, you look at this guy's roster, and it's a pretty cookie-cutter starting lineup. You know, start 10. I always eliminate in Superflex. Uh, I'll refer to the starters as the non-skill starters. So skill players, he only starts eight. So you don't want to necessarily pare down a lot of your studs uh, into two-for-ones, but I do think based on his roster, I mean, if you look at just what he's starting right now, you know, he's a little weak at that wide receiver. You know, he's starting essentially Hunter Renfro as his third receiver. So I basically looked at, Okay, he has Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb. Um, which one do I think he can maybe get a little more for on the trade market? To me, those guys are almost identical players. If you look at their numbers through you know, their starts of their career, Mixon through three years and Chubb through two years, Mixon and Chubb are almost identical players. I think their PPR points are within like 0.2 points of each other for you know points per game for their career. So I look at those guys as almost the same. Um, Chubb's actually like 18 months older than Mixon, which is kind of strange given that he's a class behind him. But um. You know, I paired this trade down to, I think he should deal one of those running backs. And I think right now the market hasn't corrected enough on the value of these rookie backs. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my trade was basically to send Nick Chubb to the team that has Cam Akers and trade Nick Chubb for Cam Akers and Michael Gallup. Uh, I really like Michael Gallup this year, just because I think if you just look at the numbers of Dallas's pass attempts, uh, they don't use a lot of players. So yeah, there's CD Lamb and there's Amari Cooper there, but Dallas doesn't use a lot of peripheral players. So their 570 pass attempts for Dak Truscott or whatever it's going to be, it's really only going to go to like five guys. So I still think Michael Gallup has a target floor that's being underappreciated. So I think he's a usable number three receiver. Honestly, I don't think there's a lot of difference between Nick Chubb and Cam Akers, except for you've just seen it from Nick Chubb before. It's the only risk you're taping is this Cam Akers isn't good. And if he busts, then you lose the trade. Uh, but if he does anything, I think he'll probably be right up where Nick Chubb's value is in a year from now, just based on how the community treats running backs. So I think that would be a nice play where he could still get a running back that he can probably start. And he fills that third receiver spot. Uh, and then Rocky will like this one. I have him actually trading away Keyshawn Vaughn, who he does have in one of his flex spots uh, and getting back trading Keyshawn Vaughn in a third, getting back Preston Williams, Gerald Everett and a second. So Kind of the same idea behind that trade. Um, I'm not a big Keyshawn Vaughn fan. Everybody knows that. Uh, it's amazing how his values dropped probably like 20% since the season, since rookie drafts happened. His value's down somehow, even though nothing, absolutely nothing has happened. Um, but yeah, I like getting off Keyshawn Vaughn right now because I just think his window is so small to fire. If he doesn't take over that job by like two or three months into the season, I think he's just an afterthought in Dynasty because of his age. So, yeah, pivoting off uh, Vaughn for Preston Williams, Gerald Everett, who I like as a stash in uh, tight end premium leagues. And then he colors up that third to a second. So I think he gets a good value in both trades. And 
honestly, he doesn't lose any points for 2020 either, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I actually like that second one, the Keyshawn Vaughn trade. I, I definitely like Keyshawn a lot more than you do. But um, I think Preston Williams is is uh, is still kind of underrated. Some people are hyping him up a little, but um, his his value is still isn't super high. And I don't think you're losing any much of any points going from Keyshawn Vaughn to Preston Williams. And then you pick up the second. And I agree. I like Everett as a stash. I, people are just assuming Higby's the guy because of how he ended last year. But Everett performed pretty well um, before he got hurt and Higby took over. Um, the other one. I I do like, but I I'm not. I think maybe you get a little more than Cam Akers and Gallup. I think Gallup's value is down, even though you're probably right. He's it shouldn't be as down as much as it is. Um, so maybe try and get a little more added to that, um, if you can. But um, I agree with you too that that Akers could produce as much as Chubb, especially with Hunt there. Um, Russ, what do you think on these two trades? I, I like. Well, you'll see, I like in theory what he did. Um, but also Keyshawn Vaughn, why his value is going down. Rojo's putting out those workout videos. That's what he's, you know, he ran a route with his shirt off and all of a sudden, uh oh, it's Rojo's all about guy the workout this videos. That's all. And he's 222 Cam. pounds now. He's a big back. Yeah. So that, that, that's all, that's all it took, you know. So if you ever need to raise any sort of value in yourself, just run some routes with your shirt off and all and put it on Twitter and you're good. <laughs> Hashtag never Rojo. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, I agree with Rocky a little bit. Uh, uh, in theory, you're right. Sending off Nick Chubb or Mixon, they're pretty much very similar in value. I think name value should get you more than Acres and Gallup. Uh, I didn't look at this guy's team, so I don't know what else you could add. But plus, we, I don't even know if we can see picks. I, sorry to you yeah. sleeper fans out there. I just, I don't get it. It's not my thing. It, it's impossible to navigate and it makes, if you're not in the league, it's almost impossible to actually yeah, do the stuff Yeah, that's the one problem to. doing this with sleepers is we can't see – well, among other problems is yeah. that we can't see picks and, and you can't just overview the league kind yeah. of surreptitiously so like, without anybody knowing about it. So so if you can get like a second thrown in there uh, on top of Acres and Gallup, I'd feel great about it. And I love – if you could get uh, Preston Williams, Gerald Everett in a second for Keyshawn Vaughn, oh, man. Oh, in a, oh, Vaughn in a third in a heartbeat. That, that, that's great turnaround. Now I have a couple of Vaughn shares that I am taking the risk, hoping that he comes out one game and puts up a couple of yards and that elevates his value a little bit. You know, let Rojo screw up a blocking scheme or something and get benched again to let Vaughn run for 85 yards and a touchdown. And then I'm going to sell the crap out of him. <laughs> So, but like you said, yeah, his value has weirdly dropped after all of that crazy hype he got during rookie draft season. So getting rid of him now, it does also make sense. If I did end up, if I made the silly mistake of drafting him in the first, then I, I don't think I'm willing to do this. I just, my pride is probably uh, right. holding me back from that. But I do, I, I, again, you'll see from my trades that I went the exact same route you did. Well, why don't we get into yours then? All right, so I went looking around and I saw the exact same thing. This guy, uh, Mikey Mike Mike, has no depth on his team. Uh, he has an okay lineup. Like you said, I, I also saw, like, it. it's, well, now it's July, but it was June when I looked at this. So, like, we're not <laughs> worrying about starting lineups, but just seeing Hunter Renfro in there is, that's a little rough. <laughs> um, uh, so I did the same thing, but I, I moved Hopkins. Uh, I went to the Hurricane 06ers and I offered DeAndre Hopkins and Raheem Mostert, who I 
don't really have all that much faith in, but he has a little bit of name value right now. For Tyler Boyd, who I fall victim to what you were saying before, I t- I just love the guy, so I value him a whole lot. Uh, Mike Williams and CeeDee Lamb. Uh, my thought b- process behind this was Mikey Mike Mike's team. Like he said, like in here, he said he thinks he's a contender, doesn't have depth. Uh, scrolling through the teams, there's a decent amount of teams that to me that do just kind of look better than his. So I don't feel like you need to be in a rush to try and start scoring points, trying to make that push. So I got a little younger. Uh, I love Boyd. Boyd to me is the definition of a solid fantasy wide receiver. The pl- the position he plays, the ways he plays it, he's going to get targets, he's going to get catches, especially if you play PPR, which this league is. I have faith in Mike Williams not being with Philip Rivers. <laughs> so I think his value will re- will rise. And CeeDee Lamb is just really good at football. I mean, we saw that video of him working out in his uh, in his backyard that just got posted, I think, today. So, you know, video with his shirt off is on Twitter, so his value is going up. Russ is all about the videos. Seriously, and <laughs> go find that CD Lamb video. That dude's fence in his backyard is just beautiful. That's the only thing I was sitting here staring at. And that was like one of yeah. my most liked and talked about tweets that I've had in a while. It was just me talking about liking the fence in the backyard of this of uh, CD Lamb running routes. But also because like the Hurricane 06ers, they have no studs. They have no running back depth. So we are, this, to me, this trade works for both teams. I, I think it really does help both. And it t- it says, Mikey, Mike, Mike, your team is good. But like in two years, the three guys you are getting for the one guy who, st- okay, stupidly, his value is going down. The fact that DeAndre Hopkins is like getting written off because he's 28, which means he's old, which makes Rocky feel a whole lot older because he's the oldest out of the three of us. Is <laughs> <laughs> just, it's, it's wrong. Let me just put it out there, but it, it's the case. It's, that's the truth. So getting younger, getting talented players. And man, in two years, you'll be back better than where you were. I was, I was doing the China set, trying to do the same thing you did and grab another tight end somewhere. I just, I couldn't find somewhere where I can get one or two young wide receivers and a tight end. So I just sort of left it alone because man, his tight ends Gronk and I, I'm not there for it. I, no <laughs> shares. I, anyone, anytime anyone asks me, I'm like, nah, that's not something I'm going to try. No, I mean, if it makes you happy, more power to you, but. Not my deal, but I really thought this was a good way for this team to go. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good one too because I, I do think I agree with what you said. Um, that the guy he's trading him to, he looks he's he's got a pretty good pieces. He looks like he's trying to. He's got some young pieces too, but he looks like he's more trying to to win this year. Mm-hmm. And um, and he can probably afford to get those pieces up. He could definitely use a Hopkins. I love CD. I'm not a big Mike Williams fan. But I think I think Boyd and CD is pretty close to Hopkins, and uh, I'll take the shot on Mike Williams for giving up Raheem Mostert. You got any thoughts on this trade, Scott? No, I think that um, I'm never going to disagree with wide receiver pivot trades, um, especially if you're moving off of receiver. You know, Hopkins is tough because I don't think his market value would actually warrant you know this type of deal. I think you would have a trouble getting even Tyler Boyd and CD Lamb for Hopkins. Um, but I also think that. The hardest thing to predict in Dynasty is the receivers that are going to fall in situations where the team just funnels them 160, 170 targets. And I think that is pretty much gone in the NFL today. Teams do not want to run their offense that way. So, you know, if you can get yourself a a bunch of these receivers that fall into that Tyler Boyd range where they may never have a top 12 ceiling, 
but I know that they're going to probably give me 120, 130 targets a year. I'm not going to try to predict the next guy that, you know, that's the biggest downfall with like AJ Brown is like AJ Brown's great, but unless he ever finds himself in a situation where the team just says, Hey, we need to throw 30% of our targets to this guy every single year for six straight years. His value is never going to warrant, you know, not pivoting off of a lower tiered receiver that gets similar volume with a similar type quarterback or similar type offense. So I like Ross's idea of doing this pivot because really, what are you losing? Even if you take out the Mike Williams part, honestly, I mean, if you look at this guy's roster, he has running backs. I mean, he has Anthony McFarland, Tevin Coleman, James White on his bench. So he's not really hurting for running back bodies. So I think if he could just turn into two receivers that he can start every single week for Hopkins and a little bit back, I love the idea of just pivoting down on receivers because there's so many of them. Okay, and we'll get into get into my trade now, I, which I have a feeling you guys are going to hate because I kind of went the total opposite direction of what you two did, I think. Um, I also traded Hopkins, though, but um, – I I basically thought that, like Russ said, the guy said that he thinks he may be a title contender. I'm not sure he's a title contender, but I do think he's a playoff team. Since we don't know what the pick, and this, this is, is kind of a weird team. <laughs> he <laughs> will be after weird. your trade, though. That's actually <laughs> awesome. I, I really like your trade. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. But anyway, so I kind of, especially since we didn't know the picks, I, I it's not something I wanted to blow up. So um, I leaned into focusing on 2020 pretty much totally. So I traded Hopkins for Derek Henry, Robert Woods, and Marvin Jones. And he gets he gets the depth we've been talking about. Um, all three guys aren't super sexy, so that might make them easier to get. And But they all, I think, are good production guys for 2020. And um, the guy he's trading him to uh, one woke contender who he could use a wide receiver. He's got a bunch of decent receivers, but but nobody on Hopkins' level. And, um, I definitely, he also, he doesn't have a ton of depth either, but he's got a better starting lineup once he gets Hopkins in there. He also has a fourth quarterback, which you could then, you know, turn around and trade to get some more depth if he wants that. So I think it works for both sides. Uh, like you said, I definitely think it helps him compete in 2020. Um, and if it doesn't work, then he can blow it up mid season. Yeah, I think this is kind of the, this is kind of the poster boy off. This is kind of the poster boy roster of what we talked about earlier. You know, you notice all of our trades involved him getting back more pieces than he gave up. Every single one of our trades. So if you look at this roster, this is the roster. If you're looking at a similar roster to this, you know, this is a scary team taken into this 2020 season where you never know how many players are going to be named, you know, on the COVID list. Or so if I look at a team where I, I put all these players in my starting lineup and I'm like, man, that looks really good. But then you start going down to your bench and you're going, well, I have maybe three guys I could ever play if I had to tomorrow. Like this is the kind of team to definitely think about making a couple of two for ones or three for ones or picking up. Even if you can't make three for ones, pick up a couple extra picks. Cause if you have an extra third laying around, there is going to be a, Hey, Mike Boone is the starter for week 12 because Dalvin cook and Madison are both out. I can buy, if I wanted to, I can buy him for a third and buy him for one to two weeks. Like there's going to be a ton of those opportunities because of the variance that we talked about. So grab those extra picks too. I mean, get the depth, especially in draft picks if you can this year. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to say about my trade, I actually just noticed this shortly before the show is that I was trading for Robert Woods and he already has Cooper Cup, which I don't love doing that. But I do think they both are wide receiver high-end wide receiver two guys so it's not the worst thing also though he could even pivot the guy has similar 
type guy. I mean, he's got Thielen, he's got Lockett. So if if you wanted to pivot off Woods to one of those guys, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. Uh, any thoughts on this trades before we finish up, Russ? No, I'm good, man. I already told you. I I think it's the exact. Op- well, it's not the exact opposite because, it, it, like you said, it, it was the depth, but you went in a different direction with it, and I think that's awesome. And I love the three guys you went after, so I'm all for it. Okay, sounds good. And that'll pretty much uh, do it for this week's show. Um, definitely just want to, again, give the Twitter handle for, for myself, which is uh, Dynasty FF Addict. Um, again, Dustin, who is not here, is Dynasty Junkie FF. Scott, I wanted to give you a chance uh, just to remind everyone your Twitter handle and everything that you do since we, we didn't really do that at the top of the show. So go ahead, Scott. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I'm glad you guys launched a podcast finally. Uh, good work. Uh, appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, you putting your thoughts on it. Have you noticed it makes it a little bit tougher uh, once you put all your strategy and information out there that it starts to kind of get used against you a little bit in leagues? I mean, definitely. So, so be prepared for that. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, everyone can find me at Charles Chill FFB. Uh, right for Dynasty League football may have a uh, may have a new show coming up on Dynasty League football. Uh, stay tuned. We'll see what uh, where that goes. Um, and then also Dynasty and Chill podcast. And uh, I do have another podcast that I'm sure a lot of Dynasty people don't listen to, but it's uh, Chasing the Helmet, which is an FFPC uh, high stakes podcast that drops every Friday night. So check that out as well. But uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um... Russ, uh, do you want to give uh, some of your stuff since since you're on here this week? Mm. I, <laughs> Everywhere, I'm at, yeah, I'm at exactly. House on Twitter. But most importantly, just you know, subscribe to the DAP Network. That that's we're trying to get out there. Uh, these these guys are awesome. I I pushed Rocky and Dustin so freaking hard just to start this damn podcast already. <laughs> uh, like I'm like, dude, I, just tell me what I, you need me to do to get you guys to do this and. I'm so glad it happened, and somehow I roped uh, Josh and Bill into joining also. And Fantasy Timeline, I, I love that show from the very beginning. Like they used to record on Mondays, and it was great because they would start at nine, and we would start recording Trade Addicts at nine thirty. So I had a half hour of just sitting and listening to them live, and it was great. Like it was just so much fun to just you could be part of it. It's awesome. So yeah, I'm all about the DAP Network right now. So on Twitter at DAP underscore Network all uh, YouTube we have and all of the podcast stuff. So that that's what's important right now. Yeah. And I just want to thank you again, Russ, for that and for being so supportive and, and having us join the DAP network. It's been great. Um, I definitely appreciate it, but I think that's all we got. Um, so definitely if you like what you heard, just uh, subscribe to the pod, give us a rating, give us a review. And uh, I guess since Dustin's not here, I'll have to do the honors and say junkies out. Woo.